This is Shift Run Stop, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews. Um, we have Margaret Robertson. Hello. That was lovely. That was very nice. Very polite. Margaret was at the uh, Playful conference that we, me and Rue were both at as well on Friday, which is a big games conference in London that happens about once a year. And, uh, well, tell us what you did at Playful, because <laughs> everyone was talking about it. It's amazing. Yeah, I um, I, I pulled a bit of a chancy move, um, which now looks like something that was very clever, but until three minutes before it started was just something prodigiously risky. I didn't do... What that be like, really? What could it <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't do any slides. I didn't really write a talk. I instead presented everything I wanted to say as a live gaming adventure inside Minecraft, which mm-hmm. I'm sure many of you are already hopelessly addicted to, uh, which meant that instead of doing slides, I could just stick um, signposts in the ground and carve swear words into mountains <laughs> and set things on fire. It went down all right. It went very well. <laughs> we had a good time at Playful as well, didn't we, Rue? We had Dominic Diamond on stage and that seemed to go down very well. It was it was about my favourite thing at a conference ever. Oh, I wow. laughed so much. He was so funny. He was really He good. was really, he was really funny and he was so gay and he's got an organ. And he's in Nova Scotia, <laughs> and it's just it's it's amazing. And he seems really chilly. He seems really happy. I'm in computers. I'm in the mainframe. I'm in your headphones. Cross your fingers, everybody. Hey, if this that. works, it's Dominic Bloody Diamond. Dominic. Hello, Dominic. Can you turn around? Dominic. Can you see your fans? <laughs> hey, hello from Canada. Gosh, is it has it actually worked? Yeah, it's, yeah, working. it's working. Bloody hell, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I don't know how long it'll work for. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're as surprised as you are. <laughs> Be funny quickly, because uh, <laughs> your, your connection's just as likely to go down as ours is. Hello, Dominic Diamond. Uh, hello, hello, Rue. Hello, Leila. Hello, Playful. Oh, uh, Dominic, you, why are you living in Nova Scotia now? That's that's very unexpected. Well, basically, uh, a year and a half ago, I bought Canada. Um, I I got an email from a Nigerian prince who wanted help getting the money out of his country. And uh, a lot of people said, trust But I thought, in for a penny, in for an ira. Got some chickens, and then they all killed coyotes. Dominic, your chickens got killed by coyotes? Yeah, a combination. It was like a triple threat of uh, coyotes and foxes and hawks. It was like all of nature ganged up. On- That's not funny. <laughs> As a chicken owner, I'm distraught. I've, I've, had, I've had foxes, but not, not coyotes or hawks. Yeah, no, the, the coyotes are quite scary. The, seriously, there's a lot of coyotes. I don't know if you can see. Those woods wow. there, that's coyotes and bears. <laughs> what the hell are you doing living in Nova Scotia? Um, well... I thought it was relatively safe to bring up kids here in the UK, but then I reckon without the coyotes. <laughs> You're breaking up a tiny bit. <laughs> Mentally or technologically. <laughs> You're looking pretty well, actually, Dominic. It's good, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the phrase uh, fat bastard was levelled at me in the last couple of years of my life. But uh, yeah, I've, I've lost, well, I'm doing a lot of coaching all over here, and so uh, I'm, I'm relatively buff. Tell us about your book. Oh, can, can you hear can us, you Dominic? Hear us now? Hello? Hello? Okay. Dominic, can you hear us? And ha- if so, have you written a book recently? 
Uh, yes, let me draw your attention to the key bit, forward by Frankie Boyle. So, you know that there's at least four funny pages. So after page five, it's pretty shitty, but, you know, what can you do? What's it about? The book is whatever you want it to be about, as long as you buy it. Has he got photos of you and when you were doing Games Master in the book? Yeah, hang on. Let's find a photo. Uh, hang on. Hang on, that's... Uh, is that you that, in the that, white... That's okay, a black that's man. in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, Phil Bab and me. Hey, so there's lots of... Oh, you're the, you're the ginger bespectacled guy. I am indeed, yes. Yeah. Ginger. <laughs> Fairly ginger. Are you Are you done? Is it just that you've got a scotch here? So you, you did Games Master, obviously. I did, yes, apparently. And uh, that, did that mean you actually got to work with Patrick Moore, or did they record his bits away from you in a little quiet room? They, they did, I don't think for any legal reasons, but it was just one of those things. It was like when McCartney and uh, Stevie Wonder did Ebony and Ivory, and so basically Patrick did all his stuff in a green screen, and then I did all my stuff in a big place. And we actually met the very last day of filming. Uh, we passed in the corridor, it was quite poetic. And uh, all we spoke cricket for five minutes. It was very nice. And it was quite a few years, wasn't it? Games Master uh, ran for, what was it seven, eight years? Three years. Three? <laughs> Longer than the Archers. No, it was, uh, what was it? I don't know, eight series? Something like that? Eight series? Where are we going? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm searching for coyotes. I'm making sure they don't sneak up on me from behind. I like, I like. Sure <laughs> but what I, I was going to ask you, why do you think there aren't any other, there aren't any shows on telly as far as I know now for kids that are about video games when games are more popular than ever? There were loads when you were doing it, weren't there? Yeah, I, th I think it's because um, the people that make television don't really play video games. Uh, there was a phenomenal show a few years ago up in Scotland uh, called Video Gaiden, um, which was done by a couple of guys who started off on the website, started off on the, on the web with a site called Consylvania. And it was just absolute genius because the producer just happened to be a gamer and it was really dark, surreal humour. It was phenomenal, really passionate about games and technology as well. But it got binned after one series because some, some fat bird in a suit was just like, oh, what's that? It scares me, I don't understand it. It's like an iPod. So, uh... Dominic, when you were doing Games Master, you used to, uh, you know, set challenges and ask questions and stuff. Today, what we thought we'd do is sort of set you against the audience and ask you some fairly difficult, I think, games questions. So just for anyone who's forgotten it, this is how Games Master started. This is episode one. I just show them the video. Yeah, you're, you're just going to be slid across sideways. Shush. Welcome to Dominic, shut up. <laughs> I mean, old, I mean uh, young Dominic, not old Younger Dominic. Younger <laughs> Your youthful little face with your curtains there. It was nice. Oh, the, the, old, the classic curtains haircut that I had. Man, that was, oh, I loved that so much. I was thinking of, of pioneering some kind of Dominic Diamond Games Master Series 1 wig set. Uh. <laughs> Were you supposed to be playing the organ at the beginning of that? I always played the organ. Did you really? <laughs> 
I've, I have got a gigantic vintage organ in my house. Um, can you play it? Do you know what? Listen, let's just... Right, hang on. Wait, wait there. I'll see if I can get through to it. Hang on. Right, right. Hang on. Wait there. This is brilliant. Dominic Diamond's house, everyone. So excited. I'm expecting this week. Wow. They like that. Just an object. <laughs> okay, I've gone back outside. Can you play the Games Master theme on it for us? <laughs> oh. Right, let's ask you some questions. Do you want to do the first one? Yeah. Oh, are you ready for the quiz? It's you versus oh, you know the Games Industry of London. So. Yeah, Good luck. This is going to be like those times uh, when I had to open fucking games and all these little 12 year old kids would pop and kick my ass on. <laughs> <laughs> We're all grown up now, Dominic. <laughs> Well you, well, you better ask that one because I don't know what Actually, it means. I asked the first yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the first question, Dominic, is yeah. what were the maximum number of simultaneous players who could play on the Sega Mega Drive j version of Micro Machines 2 Turbo Tournament? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I can't hear you. Hold up how many fingers you think it is. Well, that be eight. Eight? You think it's eight? You're right. And the reason being, of course, that the J-Cart had the two extra controller ports on it, and with your four controllers, you could have two on each one. It was brilliant. It was really crowded on the screen. Is this working? It was only for some of the maps, though. Question two. Although Nintendo deny that it is canonical, what is Mario and Luigi's surname according to the 1983 arcade game, Mario Brothers, and the 1993 film, Super Mario Brothers? I have no idea, but I would be fascinated to find out. It is. Does anyone know? Wow. It's Mario. It's Mario, as in the Mario Brothers. Because that's cause his name is Mario Mario. Mario Mario, like Duran Duran. <laughs> so, so what you're telling me is the biggest video games character in the world had the dad who had a stutter. <laughs> that's crap. That's rubbish. And yet, if you shaved off your beard, you'd look a bit like one of them, at least. <laughs> bad was Luigi Field. It's like Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. <laughs> you know, must that make you feel growing up knowing that your name now, your son name's your brother's name? <laughs> Why did they fight on the same side? Why didn't Luigi pick off and join Bowser then? It's a kind of rich... <laughs> That's right, next question. You almost certainly played this. Um, in Mortal Kombat. Which yeah. character was the god of thunder and the protector of Earthrealm? Oh, fucking this one. Um, sorry. I don't know. Okay, we're going to turn it over to the audience then. Who knows? Raiden. Yeah, Raiden. Yeah, Raiden. Look at that chorus. Uh, she... Everyone knows. <laughs> it's so obvious. <laughs> I should have because we went to the uh, we went to the Mortal Kombat movie set when I think it was there. Uh, Paul Anderson was the director. Now, yeah, we went to the set and everything for Games Master. That was uh, yeah, that was cool. You did it. You did a gory special, didn't you, once? You had yes, we did, which had me saying, um, am I allowed to swear? And uh, no, no. Well, <laughs> the audience want you to swear. I, I actually genuinely say on Channel 4, shit, shit, piss, cunt, motherfucker, which I don't <laughs> think is... <laughs> to this day, he... <laughs> oh, That's brilliant. Whatever you're saying is excellent. All right. <laughs> All right, we've got two minutes left, so we're going to do, what, two more questions? Uh, yeah. Okay. In what year, and I'm pretty sure you'll know this, Dominic, in what year was the first Sonic the Hedgehog game released? Well, we had it on the first Games Master, and that was 1992. 
Um, so I'm going to go for 1992. Oh, it was a bit before. It was 91. No, Jesus, yeah. we were so out of date. We were so behind the times with that show. <laughs> Even in the first episode. They, pro they probably had it on Nationwide with Frank Boff. Or... <laughs> Is he still alive, Frank Boff? He was fun. He's not... <laughs> I don't think he's in the audience. <laughs> he's live. He see that barn? That's where Frank Boff lives. <laughs> out there. And out there is Skergar. Final question. Frank does not take visitors. What are you saying? What? <laughs> Frank Boff does not take visitors. Sorry. <laughs> just the rule. Frank Boff does not take visitors. Um, okay, so with this question, you get an extra point if you can play it on your organ inside. Um, the question is, name three tunes you could have on your car radio in the game, in the first game of OutRun. Do not have names like kind of making waves or splashing waves? Yes, splash wave! Nice. Yay! Yeah. You got one right! Dominic Diamond knows his stuff. <laughs> and I think and the, the other two, what was the other, what was the other two? Uh, uh, Desolation Road by Bob Dylan. I'm going to stab in the dark there. It's a good try. You Love Us by the Manic Street Preachers. <laughs> what were the other two, Larry? Yeah, well, does anyone else know the other two? No. Magical Sound Shower, yeah. And uh, what's the other one? Oh, Tom knows. Passing Breeze, yeah. Well, well nice. done. Uh, I've got, I've got, I've got a DVD called Magic. Oh, if only we knew what you were saying, Dominic. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's really good, yeah. Write it in another book. There we go. Right. <laughs> So, uh, audience in Conway Hall, uh, I'd like you to join me in thanking Dominic Diamond. Again, so you can see them. And uh, they love you. <laughs> Thanks very much, Dominic. <clears throat> I'm going to hang up on you now. Bye. 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 Say bye. Bye. <laughs> that was brilliant. That what was a lot great. of fun. Thank you. Thanks again for everything, and we'll say goodbye. Thank you. Hello, this is Simon out of Trev and Simon. Sorry, Trev, can't be here. He's in prison. This is Shift Run Stop. Margaret was an editor of Edge magazine. I was. Like, the editor or an editor? No, I, was, the... I was the editor. Amazing. For a little while, I started out as a staff writer, proper junior nobody, and uh, worked my way up. So many people were so sweet to me and so encouraging when I started out. And Steve Curran, who was... Um, working on the mag when I joined and when I applied he uh, when they were doing a, a feature in issue 126 which Half-Life 2 on the cover um, silver and orange they were doing a feature on on game reviewing and on what that's like and what makes a good game review and a bad game review and they got people who weren't professional game reviewers to review games kind of different you know some developers and all the rest of it mm. and uh, Steve got me to do one as kind of a you know an amateur kind of thing and I sent that in and I still remember he wrote in the little explanation of who I was he wrote uh, and this review is by Margaret Robertson whose career in games journalism starts with this piece wow. and that was like Aww. properly huge to have that in Edge was just it was such an incredible vote of confidence so Minecraft for the uninitiated would you call it a game? Would you call it a virtual world? I see. I would call it a game. So Minecraft is a game where everything is made out of blocks. Uh, it's visually very simple. Anything that you see, you can manipulate. So you can dig out uh, rock and 
earth and trees um, and water and sand and then take the things that you mine out of the environment and build other things out of them. It is called Minecraft because you mine and then you craft. And, and that alone, and, it, and indeed you, there are modes that you can play where that's all you do, isn't really a game. It isn't, I almost even really wouldn't call it a virtual world. It is just a really big cumbersome Lego set. Um, but what survival mode does, which is what most people are playing in the, in the current build and most of the buzz is about, purely introduces the existence of enemies. That's all. Now it's just a Lego set, only where somebody's trying to kill you. And actually that completely changes it because it does all of those things that I was trying to kind of skim over quickly in the presentation about giving gives you an objective and makes it interestingly difficult for you to achieve that objective. It's a very over, open-ended objective. Your objective is don't die. Mm. Um, but it's enough. And what it does is it, it shapes your initial... Uh, play periods in the game into these kind of really discreet it's, it was a beautiful piece of design basically has this whole process of implicit tutorials and mission structure at the beginning as you cope with this terrifying challenge of surviving your first night I don't think any game has ever scared me as much as my first night in Minecraft and that includes really really bad bits of um, Project Zero and Siren and stuff that really really um, you know gives you the shivers and that you know all you're trying to do to begin with is survive the night that's it and you're you're literally scratching tiny coffin sized hovels out of the dirt and you bury you frequently find yourself burying yourself alive (laughs) luxury a massive achievement on like day two is that you might be able to bury yourself alive with a torch that's like (laughs) that's victory and you and you huddle there for for an eternity which is in fact about seven and a half minutes listening to these terrible awful noises outside Um, and then emerging is terrifying because the monsters don't some of them uh, are destroyed by sunlight but some of them aren't so even if you successfully barricaded yourself in the moment that you open that barricade in the morning is really dicey you soon learn to dig a hovel that has a front door and a back door (laughs) so that you can kind of escape and then you go from there and then you know, a few months in, you're you know building bookcases and cannons and and um, compasses and automatic applause machines and you know things you wouldn't believe because by the time you integrate in uh, effectively switches and circuitry, which is what two of the items in the game give you, you can build machines, mm. you can build logic gates, you can you can start to build computers, and that's a little bit. Nuts. Is it worrying that like you can build a computer in this game? Like, where does it end? How, I mean, how well does the what, what spec is the computer? You can, how far can you potentially go into the future? I'm, I'm, I'm blithely saying you can build a computer. I've got absolutely no idea whether or not you can. But I kind of feel like if you can do if you can do switches, yeah. And you have enough patience, you ought to be able to do something. Something with binary, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess it's you know a small scale of what you had in Little Big Planet when people were building mm. calculators and and stuff in that. I think you could probably you've got space. You know, you could probably make a little workstation. Maybe, so maybe a difference engine. If you've got switches. Yeah, you can do yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Um, whether or not you could build something that would emulate Minecraft, I don't know. But I can tell you, I can exclusively reveal that somebody will already be trying to figure out. <laughs> For sure, I finally be- oh, I finally made a compass yesterday. I finally found a load of redstone, and I was really lost. And I'd made this incredible decision that I was going to drill and drill and drill until I found redstone, so I could make a compass, so I could figure out how to escape. And I was, oh, I did such a blinding job, and I played so carefully, and I was so proud of myself for being so mature. And I had, I found my first diamond, and I had loads of redstone. And then at the moment when I went, no, I'm going to be sensible. I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to go home before I lose any of this. I drilled up into this massive cavern and there were seven creepers in it and I killed the first 
six and the seventh one got me. Oh. And that's it, because now I have no idea where I am because I drilled down and down and down and down and it was coming back up and I, I that's gone all that stuff now forever. So it's still there, you just never find it again? No, it does, it gradually disappears, so by the time I would have managed to find it again, it's 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 gone. It's heartbreaking. It is, it's, it's, it's brutal. The whole thing is such impeccable game design because it's handling levelling up entirely through items what you have is who you are you're constantly leveling up from zero every time you die if you haven't prepped you're you're back you're effectively back to level one you've got nothing if you have prepped you kind of shortcut and a lot of the game becomes about one of the really smart but difficult design decisions is this thing that you always spawn back at your original spawn point so you can go anywhere and you can build anything anywhere you want but when you whenever you die you're going to end up back there like you spend half your time in the game thinking that you're Frank Lloyd Wright and half the time feeling like Sherpa Tenzing you know it's mm-hmm. as much about it's half about this incredible architectural indulgence and half about base camps and managing pork supplies and thinking well if I've got to get from here to there I, you know if I'm going to drill down that far I want to take this much wood for that many torches because if then I'll need and if I haven't got any iron with me I can't mine that one of the other things that's amazing about it is because there's very little documentation there's a huge amount of rumour and mm. Uh, and kind of word of mouth stuff and I don't know but I've heard about king slimes and I don't know what they are and I've never even seen a slime and I'm not sure they're real but I've I there is there is there are rumors and it does you know when you go when you because you find these huge natural caverns my my world the world that now has a flaming tower of letters <laughs> is full of really really deep caverns and the sense of exploration is incredible and, and because it's pitch dark and then, and then noises when you hear a noise that you don't recognise. You know, it could be anything. So many other games are now so over-familiar because mm. um, either you've seen 4,000 previews of them before you buy them or the seventh sequel or you kind of... They're really familiar territory. And here you've got no idea, right? This crazy Swedish dude's built everything. There is literally no telling mm. what's in the next room. And so you can see... Like, you can see there's some diamond in the corner but there's a noise oh god what's that noise and you're really you know defending yourself is not all that easy because it's not it's not a super slick combat game getting into a fight is is particularly when you're not very well tooled up is is hairy it's not going to go well it's not this isn't halo reach where i've got a you know an energy sword and a load of grenades and it's going to be all right this is this is a bad scene you might have um, a stick in your hand yeah I, you know and often you think you've got a stick only i brought it up and actually it's a feather or a bit of you know um wool or something and it turns out they're not very good offensive weapons it's that time well we're a bit late out out of the blocks on these but I noticed, I noticed someone had submitted and asked Dave Green. How did they submit this? Was it through the, the medium of hash ask Dave Green on that, Twitter? They did, I don't like, I, to be honest. Uh, and asking about um, Walker's crisp packet colours. Which is old news, surely. Well, I assume it's, I assume it's old news, unless, unless something new has changed. So, I, I, and again, I don't, know, I don't know if this works. If I just say this now, will it appear on Twitter? And, and you'll like, you'll, like, you'll be able to ask them to elaborate. Yeah, have you never used Twitter? That's exactly how it works. That, that, that you say it, it into a microphone. Okay, good. <laughs> um, the the only the only Walker's news I'm 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 actually aware of is that they've done is they've gone extra crunchy. Oh, uh, I've just opened these up. The like Walker's extra crunchy are, in, are available in a range of flavours, including sweet chili chicken, salt and malt vinegar, simply salted, um, cheddar and sour cream, and these ones flame grilled steak. But I think they are suitable for vegetarians, which is nice. Mm. Not a bad flavour. I mean, the weird thing is, is that Walkers are in the position of having normal crisps, 
And they, they've also got an upmarket brand called Red Sky that we've had on the show as well. Mm. And now they've got these in the middle. So oh, they, and they, they sensations just, as well. And sensations, yeah. So yeah, 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 two yeah you're right. Brands. So you know they're they're pretty much <laughs> determined to take over that crisp aisle. Um, <laughs> to their credit, I think the Walkers uh, extra crunchy crisps. Mm. Are slightly, yeah, they're are slightly more crunchy. They are crunchier. But, in fact, if you try the other flavours, this Flame Grill State one isn't bad. If you try the other ones, they're convincingly sort of slightly down-market flavours. So you go, oh, brilliant. This is like this is like a more edible kettle chip that, like, uh, again, uh, people, uh, people in the past have described as kettle chips. Kettle chips being a bit like um, crunching up a CD case uh, uh, in your mouth. <laughs> If you're not too careful. Um, have you looked into the science of why they're extra crunchy? Because it seems to me that they're likely to be just yeah. a bit thicker. I have, I have looked into the science, Rue. Uh, it's here on the back of the pack. Um, <laughs> New Walker's Extra Crunchy is made with lovely British potatoes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sliced thicker and cooked a little longer to make them crunchier than regular mm. Walker's. There you go. So far... I'm not offended by this. Right. They, they then go on to say, whether you're having a rare evening in or meeting round a mates, meeting, M-E-A-T, oh. um, nobody's going to have a beef with sharing oh, these new flame-grilled steak crisps. All the flavours have those puns on. So, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that's put me off the entire product range. But it's and um, but they should be ashamed of themselves. Yes, and like I, I, again, I blame I blame innocent smoothies, yeah. but I blame innocent smoothies for a lot. So also 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 Unilever have continued their excellent um, pot noodle series with a new. Uh, I, I think this is a new special edition. Uh, they've described it as Mr. Chew's Golden Noodle Number Seven Sticky Rib. Is it? It's not. It's not a terribly convincing Chinese takeaway. Mm. I wouldn't be. It isn't a sweet and sour flavour, is it? It's, it's um, sticky a bit rib. Generic. Oh, I see. So it's not oh, supposed no, to be sweet. Oh, we sour. haven't put the Peking sauce on. Oh, this quick, one. quick, oh, put the sauce in. Oh, mm, I think it's a sort of plum hoisin sauce. Oh, lovely. Because sometimes the sauces in pot noodles are a bit rubbish. Mm. But this one has has a little sort of ginger kind of like plum hint to it. It's all right, isn't it? No, that, that, that I, w- I wouldn't object to. It's so, quite upmarket for mm-hmm. a pot noodle. It's got mm-hmm. quite a nice subtle flavour. Well, pot noodles always this sort of big and heavy. Yeah. yeah. In fact, that's not the biggest they go. I think I've seen bigger. But the, the, were they really? Though, there's right? a king size. Well, after you add water grown? to them, certainly. That's um, you know, we've all had those student moments where you thought, "Can I just eat a pot noodle out out with them?" Well, like, uh, they're quite nice, dry. so dry. They are. No, they're not. With a slushy of carbon. away at them. They're crunchy. Oh, nice. when we're all millionaires, we can boil a fucking kettle. But <laughs> well, while you're a student, yeah, you can't afford the electricity. Yeah. In in my in my in my sixth form uh, common room, uh, not my personal sixth form common room, <laughs> but like um, well, you did your magazine. The uh, well, like um. It took quite a while to work out what, what had gone wrong with the kettle mm. until someone established someone had actually tried to make a pot noodle in the kettle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nasty. And, uh, tea and coffee were never quite the same after that. Anyway, something Layla definitely can't eat, or can she? I don't know. Pot noodle... Have you pot- just gone out of your way to find stuff I'm not allowed no, to No, well, you're eating like, it now. <laughs> no, you've deliberately gone for the sticky rib noodles. I'm, I'm warning you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just warning mm. you. So mm. in, in case, in case yes. you know, in your... You, you have one of those iron rages that vegetarians fly into and <laughs> just start eating <laughs> eating everything in sight. Um, pot, noodle, pot noodle are going up market with, uh, with what they call their GTI rage, which I assume is named after the car. It must be. And this that, is clearly a man's it's got, oil. It's, got, it's got a kind of chrome uh, label on the front. And uh, they, they, they also, they're also doing a kind of more conventional range of... Um, 
of microwavable meaty snacks. It looks on, um, on micro- pretty look, thick and got, viscous, doesn't got, it? It's got, again, it's got noodles in the bottom of it. Yeah, so it's this endless. is so this on the on the lid says real meat under the lid, and, and this is the chili con carne. I think they also do a spaghetti bolognese. Where, in what universe does chili con carne come with? Come with, come with noodles. Noodles, yeah. Exactly. In pot noodles universe. Yeah, and noodles. so disappointingly, this doesn't require just some boiling, boiling water poured over it. No, it's a microwave as mm-hmm. well. Oh, God, your highness. But I think I think a lot a lot of, <laughs> could you eat it raw? <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, question, yeah. But I think a lot of people do have access. I think pot noodle of, of twigs mm. that many you know many of us have upgraded now from the basic kettle to the kettle microwave combo. In fact, we'd rather microwave something than boil a kettle. Mm. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm hungry. But the pot noodle GTI is doing that for me. Actually. Really, I'm, I'm quite is getting it, into is this. Is it chilly? A little bit, but it's quite. Uh, inoffensive. It's the kind of thing that you'd you'd really enjoy while you were camping. Mm. But sadly, of course, you probably wouldn't have a microwave with you. <laughs> so it's uh, it, it's kind of comfortting, and it's and it's it's got a bit of a it's got a bit, a bit of a spicy hit to it. Mm. I actually feel quite full after all. Yeah, well, I know. It's, well, it's, you know, I think it's sensible that we get we should get a proper meal out of this. <laughs> Keep snacking. <laughs> One of the ways that you understand the changing cultural significance of gaming is that it's becoming a natural mode of expression for people mm. that in, in a way that even even I still find quite surprising that you have kids who are kind of you know 18 19 years old who have stuff that they feel or are upset about or angry about or enthusiastic about and they don't write a song or draw a comic or you know spray paint their bedroom wall they they make a game they make a flash game or they make something in another game or they make a mod because that's the language that they speak. That's the mental building blocks that they have. You know, there's been a bunch of kind of little indie games in the last kind of year or two, which are just people going, here's how I feel about a thing. And that isn't weird. And actually it makes, it makes loads of sense. It makes more sense than making than writing a song about it in many respects, because it actually lets you represent something, mm-hmm. you know, that has the kind of friction and frustration of those things that mm. make you want to make something. You know, that absolutely happens in Minecraft. In Minecraft is quite... It's quite revelatory of what do you build what do you care about what matters to you and you very quickly it's odd we've been talking a lot this week about going back to those original Bartle four types of gamer in Minecraft there's this eternal tension between do you explore which is risky but also sort of simple there's a lovely blog up at the moment by some guy who's just walking east as far as he can it's just <laughs> just doesn't stop he just all day every day he just walks east you know and he has these incredible adventures and moments and bits where he nearly dies because he doesn't he's not looking where he's going and there's this <laughs> colossal cavern that he didn't see and you know on nights that he spends buried alive hoping for the best and it's enterprising but there's you know to some extent that's kind of slightly lazy because you're just endlessly busking it it's kind of all right as long as you can your daytime's pretty safe you can just bury yourself at night if worst comes to worst the source of weirdly there's something a bit unenterprising about doing that it's kind of mm-hmm. the easy way out to some people and other people won't really move from their spawn point they'll, they'll find a world that has some stuff they need they will build a house they will start their first mine under their house yeah. And they will gather resources and make the thing that they want to make. And then their game becomes about finding those resources and protecting them against, you know, you could have explosive enemies that can ruin what you're building and stuff, making sure that doesn't happen. And you see this real split of personality types of, of mm. people who want to do one and people who don't, and people who are really completist and go, no, I must have a diamond pick and diamond armor and a diamond sword, and, and I must, you know, successfully mine obsidian to make a you know, whatever it is you want to make out of obsidian. And people who, like, I'm, I don't really 
care. I want the stuff I want. Really, all I wanted was a boat. I've got a boat. Boats are a big deal. You know, that moment where you just set mm. sail. And, you know, the guy who's walking east, the first time night fell when he was on the boat, and he was just terrified. He thought, I don't know, can I fight? Can I draw my sword in a boat? Can I? Can these things swim? Can I... Will there, are there different monsters that are only in the water that I don't know about? And that real sense of, of unknowing, that actually, it just makes you realise how formulaic everything else we play is. That and I'm loving Reach at the moment, but the likelihood of Reach really surprising me, of really doing something that was completely out with my expectation of that game, is kind of is nil and should be nil. You know, I, I don't think Bungie would be anything other than proud of that because that's what they're delivering. But this can, because I'd have got no idea what this dude's got up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, that I really love. But it is gonna, I think it is going to be a game that you, you slowly fall out of love with. There's not, there's not that moment. I'm already kind of a little bit bittersweet about the moment when, when it stops feeling like this. Because it will have to, I think. It's like a love affair with a computer game. Yes, it is. And when you're not playing Minecraft... <laughs> yeah. Has there ever been a time... What do you do? What do I do? I make games for a living. It's, it's phenomenally jammy. So I'm development director at Hide and Seek. I think what's really unusual about Hide and Seek, and still there's still hardly any companies who do this, is that we're profoundly platform agnostic. Um, so we kind of have a, a, a methodology when we approach game projects, which is it's very much about defining what we're trying to accomplish with the game and who we're trying to reach with that, which is sometimes to make a bunch of people laugh till milk comes out of their nose and sometimes it's to have an impact on a big health issue or to communicate some big artistic ideas or whatever it is, who we want to have that impact on. And then we figure out what it means about what that, where that game is going to live and sometimes that means it'll live as a PSN game or it'll live as a Flash game or it'll be a street game or it'll be a tabletop game or it'll be a card game or... And we have all of those those skill sets in house, and we all we all have a particular design background in, in in one or two of them. But we all now are kind of used to designing across all of them. And from my perspective, that's been electrifyingly awesome um, because when you're working in digital games, and particularly in big games, where I, I was doing um, a lot of work in the previous years, changing anything is is a big deal. You know, when you get into these terrible kind of atrophied projects where there's so much work invested in particular elements that you can't you know you have those horrible meetings half you know two-thirds of the way in where somebody goes well really we should just scrap the whole engine and start again and you know everybody just just <laughs> just <laughs> stops breathing for a little bit and hopes that that noise of that person saying that will just go away and not have happened um and you normally can't. And the answer is that a lot, lots of talented, pragmatic, hardworking people look at that problem and go, well, we just can't. So now we have to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. And so doing pervasive game design work where you change, you can completely rewrite all of the AI by going, Dave, can you just stand on that chair? Because everything you're working with is real people. Um, and seeing those things evolve that quickly, you learn a hell of a lot because you can, you can iterate so fast. Because the thing about doing live stuff is you've not just got game rules that you can change on the fly but you've got audience feedback on the fly so those two things are happening simultaneously that as you go dave can you stand on that chair seven other people immediately start having more or less fun and you can and they're right in front of you right there so i love that and i love that you don't get locked kind of locked into design assumptions because that's what your skill set is or your code base is or you know what your pipeline allows you to do easily you you just kind of figure that out so we get to live in that really interesting space where not only do we get to make 
games with very, very different purposes of whether they're, you know, trying to be of cultural significance or do some kind of behaviour change or mm. be interesting, better marketing or be just enormous amounts of fun. And then we also get to make them all kinds of platforms. Mm. And there's never been a better time to be a game maker. There mm. absolutely hasn't. I can't, cannot believe my luck. If this, you know, if I was 10 years older or 10 years younger, I wouldn't be getting to have this experience so you go to, you go to work at hide and seek because I, I always sort of assumed it was just kind of a shadowy collective of, <laughs> of individuals who get together for these because they have these live games what yeah. you're talking about is these live gaming events that they have at um quite often on the south bank mm-hmm. the south bank center and um places like the barbican maybe and the places uh where lots of people get together without being causing too much of a fuss to the general public i suppose because they are really popular lots of people go to mm. these things so how often do they happen now they do we run so we run a thing called the sandpit mm. um which runs about once a month for most of the year and that's um a kind of community of game creators who come together once a month to deliberately try out some exploratory stuff right. so sandpits are great but there's a definite kind of agenda of a lot of this stuff will be new and we need people to come and give it a go and then over the course of a year of sandpits we pull out the best things or the things that kind of make the nicest suite of stuff that we know have been really kind of tested and evolved and put them on at the weekender which is the big public facing event and there are a mix of kind of parlor games and tabletop games and running around in the street screaming games and they are there's a huge appetite for them and, mm. and the great thing is it's it's really interesting to do them in in different spaces so we did we did a a, a gaming night at the V&A Museum mm. earlier this year oh, which was yeah. right which was I, I couldn't go because I was giving a talk at the Science Museum about toilets oh. um, so I missed it but it's you know, isn't it um, but it was apparently awesome and outside of Sandpit and The Weekender you also have clients and you know mm. people pay you money to make games mm. what are some of the things that you've done recently um, so our sort of big recent projects are we made last year we made um, working with a um, digital firm called AKQA effectively the prequel to the Sherlock Holmes movie so the Robert Downey Jr we governor uh, Sherlock Holmes movie, uh, which was just an absolute treat to do. And the great thing about the film is the film opens with, spoiler, um, Holmes and Watson solving a case. They're racing to the crypt of St Paul's where they will apprehend a serial killer and retire, having you know done a good job. Although inevitably it turns out to be quite that simple. What we were able to do was create the whole of the investigation that led them up to that bust. Uh-huh. So we take you through the kind of the three months of their life mm. uh, before that happens as this thing unfolds. What we wanted to do was kind of take everything that big films have aspired to do in terms of doing really distributed narratives and really, you know, using those kind of enticing, mysterious rabbit holes and requiring big, complicated, um, you know, coordination between people around the world and just throw all of that out of the window um, because it's unbelievably cumbersome and doesn't really work and mostly people have a bad experience because they rock up to it and go, I think something cool is happening here but I can't really tell what and I don't know what to do next and I'm confused and bored and now I'm going away. And we've all had experiences like that of kind of getting really excited about something that's associated with a big film or you know a big project that we care about and we really wanted to make something that delivered you know a top quality narrative and a top quality amount of fun in the same way that the film did so the whole thing was conceived from the beginning to be completely standalone completely self-contained it just is a game it's just an adventure game it has far more architecturally in common with you know day of the tentacle than i love bees you know it's the whole 
point is it just all lives in one place. But we really wanted it to draw on the kind of social mechanics that we were used to designing around in the real world. Mm-hmm. So it's designed as a buddy game. You play it one of your homes, one of your Watsons, you play it with someone you know, you have different experiences in the game, and you have to talk in the real world about what happens. We, we chose not to embed any of any substantial communication set within the game because we all were stupid you've got each other's fake numbers you're, you're sitting on messenger you've got email you maybe mm. you know you may be sitting across the dinner table to each other talk to you know you this is this is what you do if we get this right if we make something that is entertaining enough and funny enough and mysterious enough you will talk yeah. so let's let's that's our design goal not building you know rebuilding messenger in the middle of this thing mm-hmm. so we we made all of this stuff we made hundreds of of actual artifacts and handwritten letters and we took photos of people and had to test quite a lot of snuff for historical accuracy and made you have to get addicted to opium we didn't we didn't get get addicted to opium but they weren't taking it seriously at all there wasn't there was an amount of of um snuff dependence by the end of the project (laughs) you're doing really long hours it was harrowbone snuff was mostly what that project was Margaret, tell us where we can find you and your thinkings online. <laughs> um, if, if you'd like my thinkings in, in short form, which I do warn you are currently mostly links to funny Minecraft things, I'm, I'm Twitterable as um, Ranorama, which I'm sure all of your listeners will instantly recognise as the classic um, Atari ST dungeon exploring game. Margaret Robertson, thank you so much for coming in. It's been so fun and, and I've learned everything about Minecraft. <laughs> I don't yeah, to play. I'm going to have to start playing now. I think I've just said goodbye to the rest of, well, probably October. Jesus. Bye. Bye. I'm a computer.